This time on episode 378 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we talk Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 10, a.k.a. Hero Pants, Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 11, a.k.a. Hellcat, Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 12, a.k.a. A Lot of Worms, Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 13, a.k.a. Everything, and Weekly Marvel News. I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the shield director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. And I'm Agent Michelle. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Sunday, May 30th, 2021, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast New York City-wide via www.geeks.live. Come and join our live chat as we record. Ladies, happy National Creative Day. That's a really nice holiday. I really like that. It was started in 2018 by screenwriting you. And it's been going on ever since. So relatively new National Day. I actually think most of these days are relatively new, but this is a pretty cool creative day. There was several other things today, but I thought this was the best. Do any of y'all have a creative project you're working on that you want to share right now? Not that I want to share. (laughs) It's always like seed, not ready to share the seed. I don't know if it's creative, but. In the next week, I'll be taking out my range and putting in a new one that's getting delivered a week from tomorrow. So I guess that's creative because I have to take, it's a different color and I have to take out the range hood, you know, the thing that blows air and lights up right on top of the stovetop. So yeah, it's about as creative as I'm getting right now. Nice. Well, we're creating this podcast. Yeah, we are creating this podcast. This counts. Woohoo! Score check all right so legends of shield is a fan-based podcast by the way on the marvel cinematic and comic book universes because who's killing everyone it's patsy if you would like to talk to us about it's patsy you can look at our website legendsofshield.com you can also call us and leave us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1 that's 844-843-2871 We're on Facebook, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Podcast. We're also on Twitter, at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're on YouTube, youtube.com slash gunnageek. You can tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. skill. We're on Discord at gunnageek.com slash discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. I want to take a moment to welcome Agent Lauren back. Lauren, you've been gone for a few weeks. It's great to have you back in the studio. Thank you. I was having secret experiments done on my neck. They did not make me want to kill everyone. 
I mean, not any more than usual. So. So it is literally lab rat Lauren. <laughs> I already have metal parts installed in me, so I think I've been lab rat Lauren for a little bit. Right. Well, anyway, it's great to have you back on the show. We've sorely missed you talking about this great series that we're about to talk about, Jessica Jones, season three. I'm glad to be back. And talking about that, let's just get into that right now. Jessica Jones season three premiered on Netflix June 14th, 2019. And in a rare instance, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is fully covering the season and the series less than two years from its completion. We're talking about season three, episode 10, a.k.a. Hero Pants. Michelle, why don't you run down the creative team for that episode? This episode is directed by Sanford Booksaver, has 47 directing credits starting in 1999 including One Dawson's Creek, One True Calling, Four Bones, One Burn Notice, Five House, One Revolution, Five Revenge, Five White Collar, One Iron Fist, One Jessica Jones, Eight Power, and One Hellstrom. This episode was written by Jamie King, has six writing credits starting in 2011, including various shorts, four episodes of Jessica Jones, and One Impulse. And moving on, Season 3, Episode 11, a.k.a. Hellcat. Lauren, why don't you run down the creative team for this episode? This episode was directed by Jennifer Getzinger, who has 31 directing credits starting in 1998, including two of Suits, one of Revenge, two of The Returned, two of Agent Carter, one of The Man in the High Castle, one of Daredevil, four of Outlander, three of Jessica Jones, and two of Westworld. And the episode was written by Jane Espenson, who has 37 writing credits starting in 1994, including one of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, one of Angel, one of Firefly, 22 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Eureka, five of Battlestar Galactica, one of Caprica, three of Torchwood, 30 of Once Upon a Time, one episode of Jessica Jones, and two episodes of The Nevers. And moving on to the penultimate episode of Jessica Jones, Season 3, Episode 12, a.k.a. A Lot of Worms. Michelle, what is the creative team behind this episode? This episode was directed by Sarah Boyd, has 12 directing credits starting in 2016, including one, Fear the Walking Dead, two, Sacred Lies, one, Jessica Jones, one, Strange Angel, one, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., two, The Flash, two, This Is Us, and one of The Boys. This episode was written by Scott Reynolds, has seven writing credits starting in 2006, including nine Dexter, two the following, two Iron Fist, two Inhumans, and four Jessica Jones. And Scott Reynolds was the co-executive producer slash showrunner for this season three of Jessica Jones. And Lauren, you get the distinctive honor of bringing us to a close the finale episode of Jessica Jones and everything Netflix Defenders related. Season 3, Episode 13, a.k.a. Everything. The episode was directed by Nessa Hardiman, who has 23 directing credits starting in 1997, including seven of Totally Frank, one of Happy Va- two of Happy Valley, I'm sorry, one of Inhumans, two of Jessica Jones, and three of Hit and Run. The teleplay was written by Lisa Randolph, who has 10 writing credits starting in 2002 including two of The Shield, seven of Being Human, four of Rain, two of Star Trek Discovery, 
four of Jessica Jones and four of Prodigal Son and the Teleplane story were by Melissa Rosenberg, who we might remember as the showrunner for the first season, who has 22 writing credits starting in 1993, including three of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, one of Outer Limits, three of Dark Skies, five of The Agency, one of Bird of Prey, two of The O.C., eight of Dexter, one of Red Widow, and three of Jessica Jones, also created by, and I believe she wrote the screenplays for at least the first Twilight movie. Ooh. So sparkly vampires are her thing? No. Okay. It's been a whole thing. She tried to jazz up the script a little bit and make it so that something actually happened. Kind of succeeded. I'm in an on and off kind of snark watch with some friends lately. We're about to watch Breaking Dawn at some point this year. So. Twilight had a huge following, generally with the younger crowd, but it still had a big following. So, yeah. Yeah. Younger crowd and women in their 50s. My aunt loved Twilight. So there's a cross between Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey is actually fan fiction based on Twilight. And it started that way and then people liked it and then she started to transform it into her own thing. So Fifty Shades of Grey is fanfic from Twilight. You can still find Master of the Universe, the original fanfic version of Fifty Shades of Grey, online if you know where to look. All right. So Melissa Rosenberg, you mentioned she was the showrunner from season one. She was actually the showrunner for all three seasons of Jessica Jones, and she shared the showrunnership, the co-showrunnership in season three with Scott Reynolds. So she was the main force behind this. And ultimately, she brought a close to the Marvel Defenders Netflix universe. So three titles, Hero Pants, Hellcat, A Lot of Worms and Everything. We're just going to smash them all together here. I think the titles, I mean, AKA was, you know, alias and from the PI part of it, but the titles pretty much were looking at the stories that were going on for the episode. Does anybody have anything particular they want to bring out here? I'll start with you, Michelle. I see hero pants as Trish starting to become more of Hellcat. I think it's interesting how the funeral and the cutting back and forth sort of you know how it became hellcat i think is obvious in you know everything everything ends in the last one yep it's everything we even got a cameo in there that i didn't think we were going to have but it was good to have we'll talk about that later lauren do you have anything you want to bring to closure here with the titles before we move on not really i think michelle covered all of it just only other thing I'd throw in is, as with all of the episodes in this show, the episodes are named after something said in the episode. Ultimately, we get Jessica arrested. She was arrested. I wanted to say detained, but she was out and out arrested. And it was kind of funny. I just want to bring this up as we talk about it, because there was two scenes of her getting arrested. One was from her point of view, and one was later from Trisha's point of view. And in the scene with her point of view, she actually kicks a trash can. I thought it was irrelevant that she was kicking the trash can because it really didn't do anything. In Trisha's point of view, when they're replaying the scene, it is not the same scene that they're filming. And the reason I know this is because there was no trash can that was kicked. 
and you didn't see it in the air. You didn't hear the sound. You clearly would have. Trish was only half a block away. So, yeah, it was interesting how that all went. But she was arrested for the murder of this dirty cop. And we knew she didn't do it, but we had to go back to the police station into the interrogation room and everything. So, Michelle, let's start off with that. When it comes to that, we have another episode. We started the season with episodes one and two where you've got it from Jessica's point of view and then you get it from Trish's point of view and then it comes back that way to here and Trish thinks she knows how to fix things. She thinks she knows better. This actually also echoes what happened at the end of last season where Trish thinks she did the right thing by killing Jessica's mom. Here's Trish thinking, well, if we plant evidence at this other crime scene, then we will get Jessica cleared. And it's an interesting thought, but we can actually see she's not in the right frame of mind because one, you know, Dorothy dying and two, she's not really her powers like what's happened to her all like the the powers and everything that's also not going well i really liked having more of trish's point of view of how she's justifying everything to herself in this season because we see her go to some really dark places and you know that feeling when you're watching someone in your life you know they're ruining their lives and nothing you can say is going to dissuade them. So you're just kind of sitting there like, well, I guess this is going to happen. I kept having that kind of feeling while I was watching the show with Trish. Just, I get what you're doing. This is not the right way. And I feel like this is something that you see in some superhero properties, but the reality of someone getting powers and deciding that they're going to be a superhero and a vigilante and it's not clean. It's not, you're basically, you're going around assaulting people is what it is. If you're doing anything like, you know, Batman, Batman basically assaults mentally ill people. If you really want to break it down to its just barest, ugliest terms. And she doesn't have any evidence beyond what she collects herself. She doesn't have the full view of the situation. She has a noble goal, but as we hear mentioned a bunch this season, do the ends justify the means? This season was interesting. In the last four episodes, kind of are a microcosm for the whole season, which is just 13 episodes anyway. But the last four episodes complete the circle of i might be saying something confrontational here it might be considered trashing all these characters so dorothy's dead so i guess she didn't deserve anything and she's dead trish transitions to the bad guy jerry is only looking out for herself uh, malcolm trashes his relationship with zaya i guess jillian was fine but we don't really see an end for her detective costa gets suspended although he comes back salinger we knew we 
it's never going to make it out of the season alive. And Jessica Jones ends up losing everything. So it's kind of, it's not in vain of a superhero show that we would want to see from Marvel. Now we'll talk about the possibilities of season four, because clearly they were looking at a possibility of a season four at the end of this. But just given the season three here, I, I just, again, as we talked about last week, I didn't see it as a good Marvel series because there's no superpowered villain. The superpowered fights that you get are very limited and it just ends up trashing the characters. I got to disagree. Okay, good. Okay. So, first of all, Salinger in the comics is powered. He's not here, very obviously, but in the comics, he's like full slayer, something like that. Just for everyone's information. I can never remember the character's name because I keep thinking of him as Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. But the character that Benjamin Walker plays, the guy with the empathy, he's also part of like the Thunderbolts in the comics. Anyway. Are you talking about Eric Geller? Geller. Yes, that's his name. Yeah. So I do agree that this season, you know, every season it's bad for Jessica. Her life is just never great. And here, I think we see everyone at their lowest point. I think your opinion might have been different if we had gotten a fourth season where maybe we see everybody climbing back up out of the holes they dug themselves into. Obviously, we didn't. So we have to take the show just as we have it. Jessica, we see her. I keep looking at it in terms of character growth. We see Jessica for the first time not caring about anyone. She's cut herself off from Trish, from Dorothy, from everyone. And at the end, she keeps telling Trish, I'm choosing you every time in, you know, explaining the lengths that she went to to try to keep Trish out of jail. In Malcolm, the first time we see him, he's basically a junkie. And now we see him taking over alias investigations. He was already, yeah, he had the suit and everything, but he's somebody who we saw had this meteoric rise in a very short time, which I think could also explain why he self-destructed his relationship with Zaya. We can talk a lot about addict behaviors and speaking of which, Trish, the first time we see, well, Trish always wanted to be a hero. She always wanted more than what she had. She was pushed into this life. She didn't choose it. We see, in fact, in her flashbacks, her mom putting all this pressure on her every single time. And at the end, when she finally chooses something, it's because she's addicted to it, essentially. We hear Malcolm talk about it with her. She's replaced her drug addictions, her alcohol addictions, with hero addiction. and. In looking at those three, I was really happy, actually, with how their characters grew. If we did get a fourth season, I'm sure we might have gotten a redemption arc for Trish. Jessica might actually be happy. The presence of Luke Cage in the finale uh, had me hopeful that we would have gotten Jessica and Luke like we do in the comics. And Malcolm... I really, really like seeing Malcolm come into his own. Even if he does kind of bomb his personal life there. So 
it is kind of, if you want to look at it, the Empire Strikes Back moment. You have to bring everybody to their absolute lowest. Unfortunately, we didn't get our Return of the Jedi moment. So I will admit to being very disappointed in that and very angry about that, actually. But I don't think that the show trashed their characters. I think it followed a logical progression into a dark place. Like, you can see every step these characters took along the way to get here. Every decision they made to get here. And I guess the one character that didn't really change was Jerry. You're right, she absolutely, she's always looking out for number one. That's always her thing. And you start to think at the end, hey, maybe, you know, she does love this woman. Maybe she is trying to change. No, still, always, just take the most ruthless, selfish way. So we see her at the end alone with everything that her decisions has brought her. I did enjoy Kith's last words to her of, yeah, you were afraid to die alone. And guess what? You are going to die alone. That was poetic justice. And if there was a season four, I don't know if we would have followed Jerry further in her ALS journey or not. But it was an incredibly destructive force in this season. Because if she would have gone different ways at different points in time, it would have been a different season if she would have stuck to her guns on one side or the other. But she played it on the fence the entire time. Whatever was to her advantage, she did. And Carrie and Moss did great portraying the character. I have nothing against any of the actors' performances in this season. And the last four episodes did nothing to detract me from that. It it was good performances. The script was slow. The story was slow. I have issues against it, whether or not this really was a Marvel superhero show. I'm just going to say this again. For those of you who don't know, Criminal Minds was a CBS show about FBI agents who investigated all the real weird serial killer stuff. And it was all dark. And basically, this season was an episode of Criminal Minds with the origin story of Hellcat mixed in. And that was the problem. And I didn't care for Trish. Here's the thing. I've never cared for Trish. It's not the actor's problem. It's not that. But the way Trish was always written, I never cared about her, even in season one. So you're taking a character I've never cared about. You've given her superhero powers. Okay, I knew eventually she's supposed to become Hellcat. And I get with the whole, it does make sense. She does replace being a hero with the whole addiction thing and the going back and forth with Dorothy. You know, I got this. I have talent. I owe the world because I have talent. And I think that's something when she remembered that something that Dorothy said, I think that's really like the big motivator for her. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, this season, again, was just a story that was flat because, again, it was an episode of Criminal Minds mixed with the superhero origin story. I think it got a little interesting at the end. I like that whole idea of Jessica versus Trish with the whole what makes a hero and the idea of experience because even though trish could see in the dark 
Jessica was still able to subdue her because Jessica has experience and experience will most of the time overcome not being able to see in the dark. But it's not so much what they did with the characters. It's just, I don't even know if I would want a season four. This ended dark AF. And I just don't know. Like, I cared about Jessica. And I'm going to have to go against the grain here again. I was going to say this is my favorite season after the first season. But then again, I am that kind of person who likes to watch procedurals and listen to true crime podcasts. I was going to bring up that in terms of Salinger, okay, shows like to portray smart serial killers. This is not reality. Most serial killers are just lucky. The notion of the smart serial killer has started because people want a world in which the reason that this person hasn't been caught is because they have to be so smart when really it's all a matter of circumstance and luck and bad timing. And it's one of those things that you see over and over again, the more that you read about serial killers and true crime. But the fact that they knew who the killer was and they had to. It's what happens when you work outside the law, but you want results in the law. Like, what do you do there? And we see Jess's way of doing it. And then we see Trisha's way of doing it. And again, it comes right back down to superheroes wouldn't work in the real world. I think this season might have been a little different for me as a little critique. If they would have had some way to show the powers of Eric and Trish, Trish's ability to see in the dark, if they would have brought that out on the screen a little bit more, maybe akin to how Daredevil senses everything around him in the electromagnetic spectrum, or I guess it's Sonic. And then for Eric, the same thing of there's a bad guy and the aura coming off of people, like normal people are white and then bad people are red or something like that, that would have given a little bit more of the superhero-ness of this to bring it out to me. But in the end, it is, Michelle was saying, it's just an episode of Criminal Minds or whatever, police or FBI procedural when you're looking into it. So I just... mm. I liked what they did with the sound with Eric's powers, because if you're someone who's prone to like migraines, say... There's this, well, at least for me, there's like a very raw buzzing feeling inside my head and the presence of loud noise, bright lights just makes it worse. And that very low ringing, increasing, it's like an irritating noise that happens whenever Eric's powers, whenever he senses someone really bad. I really liked that. It felt very visceral to me. I think it would have been interesting to see both Hellcat seeing in the dark and Eric's sensing auras, maybe more visually. But like I said, I did like that sound choice. As far as the interconnectedness with the Defenders universe, we did get a cameo in the finale by Luke Cage in his new suits that he has in his new capacity. It was only a couple minutes and he was advising Jessica to basically do what she had to do. I'm glad they brought him in. And I think the reason why we didn't have more crossover is was I think 
and I'll have to go back in the timeline to make sure, but I think this was the last one that was in production out of all the series. And I think that some of the series had already been canceled. So the contracts for those individuals, those actors that they wanted to bring in weren't necessarily still there. There's probably some secondary characters that they could have brought in, but Luke Cage was the only main character that they brought in. I did enjoy that, but because all this time, especially with these last four episodes in I didn't see Luke until the last episode, but I was thinking, you know, all this crap is going on. Jessica and Trish are in the news quite a bit. You would think that somebody from the universe would come in. We already had the Danny Rand excuse, but you'd think somebody else would come in. And I was thinking Luke Cage, actually. So I'm glad we got him. And especially because Luke and Jessica kind of started out together. But I was wish I was hoping for more and we just didn't get that. So that's a commentary on the last of the series seasons, whatever. Yeah, that I think is where the Netflix series disappointed me the most. You want that interconnectedness. Even if you don't get it from characters from the MCU, you want characters from the other shows to show up with each other. And we got a little bit of that in places, but I would have liked more. And I understand there's budget, there's contracts, there's all this stuff, but it's one of those, it would have been nice things. So we get to the end and, and there's a bunch of stuff that's going around. We've already talked a little bit about it. Malcolm starting off with the alias investigations. I guess he's in charge. Uh, we don't see any paperwork changing hands, but I would think Gillian would be able to do that. And we don't even say, get to say goodbye to Gillian either. That was, Can I say something about Gillian real quick? Yeah. Okay. It made me so happy that they had a trans actress in a role that could be played by anyone. They don't make a big deal of her being trans. She is just trans and she exists in this world. And I love her. Her character I found very fun. And it made me so happy every time I see her. We're getting ready to go into Pride Month and representation right now. Representation is important. People need to see themselves to know, hey, this could be me. I don't have to be, you know, typecast as a serial killer. Like in the terms, there's a lot of cross-dressing and trans serial killers in fiction. And here she is. She has a life. She has this job. This job is not her life, as we see when she's like, um, yeah, this is too much attention for me. I'm going to leave. But then Jessica kind of emotionally blackmails her basically with the fact, oh, well, my adoptive mother just died. So Jillian, because she is a good person, was like, ugh, fine. And it made me so happy. I think Eric Geller and Detective Casso would have had a nice ABC police procedural spinoff running out of this. I mean, yeah, I could see that. It's um, the psychic and the cop, except he's not psychic. But weirdly enough, though, okay. Again, this is one of those weird things that pops up when you read, listen to, study true crime. Police have a habit of going to psychics and taking information from psychics way more than I am comfortable with. So in a world where powered people are kind of stigmatized, I bet if he just told him, yeah, I'm a psychic, look at my tarot cards he probably would have gotten a better reception than if he said, yeah, I have these abilities that you can provably test. It's 
one of those little things that it's like, really? But it hit me while I was watching that. Like, it's ridiculous. You're talking about a universe with superpowered people, though. So, yeah, but it's superpowered people that people are, yeah, the kids like them and stuff, and some people like them. But as we've seen in these shows, when they're in your everyday life, they're just sort of a bother, which kind of would probably be the case. I know you can count them as superheroes, I guess, with Power Rangers. Every time I watched, I'm like, why are people still living in this town? It gets destroyed every week. And it's sort of the same situation in MCU New York, where you better hope that you have superhero insurance or something, because somebody's going to get thrown through a window. Michelle and I talked about that for years over on the Starling Tribune with Star City or Starling City. The window repair business would go through the roof because Arrow would always be crashing through or somebody from the bad guys would be crashing through windows and causing immense destruction. And at the very end, we were talking about why would anybody actually want to live there? That was a common theme to our podcast on Arrow. And New York City in this particular case is definitely because there was two major battles in the MCU that happened there. You had the Hulk just disrupting Harlem and yeah, why would you want to live in New York City? It's like in this pandemic, right? Where people wanted to leave big cities. It wasn't just New York. It was San Francisco. It was Silicon Valley. It was a lot of different cities. People wanted to get out of there. I would think that in the case of all this superhero activity, which is centered on New York City, that people would want to leave New York City. That's just me, though. All right. At the end of the season we get jessica jones leaving town alone unfortunately because trish just head off to the raft kind of liked the continual references to the raft but there was no payoff except for trish going to the raft i mean we don't get to see the raft we don't get trish coming out of the raft or anything like that we just get mentions of the raft but anyway jessica jones is heading out of town she's going to mexico i'm not sure why mexico but she's headed to mexico because it's somewhere else I think is really the thing. And it's warmer than Canada. Okay. So she's getting this bus ticket to El Paso, which is as close as she can get to the border. You can actually walk across the border down there, by the way. So she's getting this ticket to El Paso and she gets something back from season one. So was this just a nod back to season one in Kilgrave? Okay. So this is, I want to start with this because. I don't know if Lauren will agree with me or not because of stuff. So I don't know because we know the purple man did stuff to Jessica's brain and Lauren probably knows the name of this, which is probably, this is why I wanted to go first. (laughs) There's stuff that I'll leave Lauren to the technical stuff, but subliminal things. We don't know what stuff the purple man left in Jessica's brain. So is this A, a sequence of events flipped a switch in Jessica's head that the purple man set in there because she gives up the agency and then she's buying a ticket and then she's leaving. And that's like three big things that it could flip a switch. And we could maybe have seen a personality change in Jessica in season four. Because that's what I kind of think it is. 
or I don't know, a part of her brain saying that this is what the Purple Man would want. The ending song is called Keep on Living. Like, is it a good message, a bad message? But I'm wondering if that's what it was. Some sort of sequence of events flipped a switch from the Purple Man. That's what I'm, that's what I was thinking. Okay, what you're talking about, subliminal messaging. Actually, I was just pulling up some articles as you were talking. There have been some studies in the past few years that subliminal messaging actually can activate parts of your brain. But what they've been trying it with is less audible stuff and it's more visual. Like when you flash images of, you know, by Coke, that activates your visual cortex. With this, you know, we just hear the voice. I don't actually think it's that, though. The way that I was thinking, this show at its core has always been about trauma. You see with the flashbacks to Patsy and her mom, from a very young age, we find out what kind of pressure has been put on Patsy, whether it's, or Trish, whether it, well, she was Patsy back then, whether it's having to rescue her mom, essentially, from being beaten by her dad. Being the breadwinner of the family, we see that when she's auditioning and her mom says, your dad's support checks aren't coming in. So you hear that from a lot of child actors. Like, I think you can find some interviews with Macaulay Culkin. There's a lot of pressure if you're, you know, on this small child to bring in things for the family, to make sure that the family doesn't starve. In this case, it wasn't just the family. Dorothy was putting on her all of the crew and the cast of Mm -hmm. the entire show because she was the lead of the show. Exactly. Patsy was saying that I'm a kid. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure for an adult for a like what eight year old. It's ridiculous. So it's no wonder that she, you know, turned to addiction to self-medicate, but we find, you know, that trauma, she saved her mom. And I think, Ever since then, she's just wanted to save people. She's wanted to do something important. Like, she's saving these people from unemployment and starving to death or whatever. She's putting a lot on herself to be the one that saves people that's responsible until she snaps. And previously, we saw her snap with drugs and alcohol when she was, like, a teenager. And now we're seeing her snap with vigilantism as an adult. With Jessica, her trauma, I mean, yeah, she lost her family and she lived with Dorothy and everything, but things got really bad for her with Kilgrave. That was, it messed with her in really horrible ways. And what I took away from that last scene is you can never outrun your trauma. No matter how many therapists you go to, it's part of that will always be with you. It's something I've been dealing with for decades now. And all you can really do is learn how, learn exactly how you can live with it, how, what ways you can redirect from that. And here she's running away and we get that Kilgrave part of her brain, the part that knows every bad thing because it told her to do every bad thing. So it's her abuser's voice once again telling her, you're nothing, you're running away. 
And unfortunately, that does happen a lot. So I just kind of took it again as the cycle of abuse coming back. For an ending of a show on Netflix and what turned out to be the ending of the Defenders series on Netflix, it left a lot to be desired. I don't know if Scott and uh, Melissa were thinking in terms of getting picked up somewhere else. Maybe they had heard inklings of Disney Plus at that time. I mean, we had rumors ever since the first one was canceled, which I believe was Daredevil. I, I don't remember for sure if Iron Fist might have been canceled for. I don't know. but. Since Jessica Jones was the last to air, it was the last to be canceled. And they might have been thinking in terms of, can we bring this over to a new platform? I don't know. But I wish they wouldn't have. I wish they wouldn't have ended it like that because it leaves you thinking that there's more to the story and there's just not going to be any more to the story on Netflix. Yeah, it's shows thinking that they're going to get picked up. And I'm going to use a show called The Magicians, which got better with each season. And with each season, there was an overarching problem. And what I liked about it is the group would solve the overall problem. And if it got canceled, you would want more story with them. Like you would want to find out what would happen with them and everything but the overall problem was solved and that's what nowadays tv shows need to think this way because as we're seeing with netflix with certain seasons they're just canceling or they're just saying we only want three seasons or well give us two seasons and maybe we'll think about it you've got to think about containment and again having that overarching part with that season being able to wrap it up but having a few threads that if it gets picked up then hey we can take these threads and develop them and that's what the magicians actually did and it's really well done there's some content warnings in there because it does get dark and you know there's assault and everything like that if you do decide to go watch it it's on netflix I've actually watched three times and it still holds up. I love Margot. Anyway, but each season, you know, like when they lost magic, they got magic back. But there was a hint that maybe something was wrong with Elliot. But you know what? They got magic back. That problem was solved. And if it got canceled, then it got canceled and the overall story was done. And I think that was the big problem with especially like Iron Fist season two, like it really ended with that cool moment with Danny with the double glowing fist. And it's like, what did he do? It was like, that should have been season two. Like that was so cool. What happened? We shouldn't really be feeling that way anymore. I almost think the entire universe should have been ended at Defenders. Like it should have been a big buildup for the Defenders and that was it. We didn't get it. And there was obviously some story to tell after the Defenders, but none of the seasons after the Defenders really hit, at least with me, none of which would be at the level of pre-Defenders. Like the first season of Daredevil is a lot of people say that's the marquee. That's the one that they really like out of it. It's not the only one. There, there are others. But if you take a look at the marquee seasons, they're all before Defenders. 
So anything after Defender, <laughs> a great analogy, if you happen to watch the CW Arrowverse, is Crisis. Like everything built up to Crisis and after Crisis, people are saying, you well, know, what ha- what is happening with the storylines with all the shows that are remaining over there? I mean, there's one notable exception that would be, um, what is it called? Superman and Lois, SNL or whatever. But yeah, everything else is just not really hidden with the fans or is in massive decline or something like that i get the same feeling from this and it's not surprising to me after getting to the end that this whole thing was canceled and i do hope that at some point disney revise these characters revives these characters into whatever universe that they want whether it's the mcu or some disney plus universe what i wish they had done was maybe not have a defenders meet up again at the end of every season but if they like for a whole season but if they could do like something basically movie length or a two-parter or something i think that would have given them something kind of concrete to build up for at the same time as all of this is going on like an mcu phase thing basically yeah with like a little bookend at the end of each one i think that could have been interesting but Again, also cost prohibitive and schedules and everything. I am really sad that these shows all ended the way that they did because it's so obvious that there's more. And like Michelle was saying, there's no guarantee that a show is going to get renewed. I think the showrunners finally probably figured, well, it's Marvel. We're going to keep going. But then there was the Disney acquisition and Disney Plus. So it's like, yeah, we saw this when Disney bought Marvel originally, where all of the shows that were currently ongoing, Clone Wars, Spectacular Spider-Man, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, all got canceled right there. And all those shows were fantastic. And I'm still really bitter about it. Because, let's face it, Disney, Marvel, etc. want to consolidate. You want people to buy your streaming service. You want people to watch your branded thing. It's one of the things that I don't like about Disney. And it makes me really sad and really angry. And I hope the rumors of at least some of the actors coming to the Disney Plus shows, even if just as a cameo, I hope that happens. And other than that, the only thing that I'll have that I have to say is, SP earlier, you said it didn't feel like a Marvel superhero movie. The way that I've been looking at the Netflix verse is kind of along the lines of the Max runs on um on Daredevil, on I think Jessica Alias was originally a Marvel Max title. And speaking of Salinger, Fool Killer had like a five issue run with Marvel Max. Where the whole thing was, it's more adult, it's grittier, it's more grounded. So I think that's why I had less of an issue with it, is because I was already used to that from Marvel, of having that whole little separate imprint off on its own that might eventually be connected, or it might not. It just kind of depends on audience reaction. At least we didn't have a Martha moment. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... On the whole, I'm glad I watched this. I'm glad I was able to get introduced to all these characters, Jessica Jones included. I, I think, actually, it was a fantastic portrayal of Jessica Jones. I just would want a little bit more out of the story. 
and I think they tried. I'm not going to say the creative team didn't try. It was just not what I think most people wanted from this, even adding a more adult, grittier thing. I think they wanted more superhero stuff in their shows. Otherwise, just go watch a regular show. But it's over, and I'm enjoying the stuff that we're getting out of Disney Plus so far on the Marvel series. It's all MCU related. I will say that you mentioned the Disney acquisition of Marvel. They did a similar thing with Star Wars, and I think it's still called the Star Wars division. It might be Lucasfilm. I'm not sure. But there was an interesting announcement this past week that Dave Filoni was going to be taking over all creative content. He was going to be the director of all that, thus freeing Kathleen Kennedy from that burden and making sure she could focus on the business side of things, which I do think she's good at. And as long as she sticks around, I think Dave is not shown any aptitude towards the business side, but has been showing great aptitude towards the creative side. I was actually just talking about this with my spouse, with Scott earlier this week. We were watching The Bad Batch and I'm flipping stuff, trying to find something short that I could watch between when we finished watching that episode and when wrestling was coming on. So I was like, oh, these behind the scenes of The Mandalorian things are like about the right length. So I started watching it and it's like, oh, yeah, Dave Filoni is basically George's apprentice. Like, I remember that from right when the Clone Wars started. He had interviews where he was like, yeah, I'd be talking and George didn't want to be involved. But then he's like, well, let me explain this. And then he just like kind of his love of Star Wars got revived through talking to Dave. So now Dave, I think, is like, yeah, he's George Lucas's apprentice. He's taking those lessons and bringing them in. Not to get too far into it, but that was the relationship that was portrayed to us that Kathleen would have with George, too. And I just don't think that that happened at that level that George has with Dave. And the reason I bring this up is on the Marvel side of things, they have the creative content king that's Kevin Feige, as long as he's still in there. So there was no need really to divide up everything You just keep it all in one place. And if Dave Filoni is that for Lucasfilm or Star Wars, Kevin Feige is still that for Marvel. And to separate the Marvel creative team from the MCU studios and all these different streaming services, I think did a slight disservice to Marvel, but I can see where it evolved that way. I mean, you had rights divisions left, right, and backwards. You still kind of do a little bit. I mean, Sony still has Spider Man. And you had not the ability to produce all this stuff underneath the house of Marvel, whereas now underneath Disney, you have a better way to do it. So maybe in the future with Disney Plus and Kevin Feige or whoever is going to be his successor, being the king of creative control of Marvel, maybe we won't get to this point. Maybe we still will. I have no idea. But I do like the shorter series that Disney Plus has been putting out versus even these short series of 13 episodes or so on Netflix. And it's not competing with a main show on ABC. All these Netflix shows were competing with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And we don't have an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore or any show on broadcast TV anymore that's Marvel. So anyway, I was just going to point that out, is that there's hope for the future. It's definitely going to be different than Netflix, and I look forward to covering the future series on this show like we're going to cover Loki on the next episode. 
But with that, last thoughts, Jessica Jones, season three, Jessica Jones in general, the Defenders, Netflix universe, Lauren? It made me really, really want to reread the alias trade paperbacks again. Just the season or the entire Jessica Jones series? I mean, every time I would watch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to reread this. And it's just, again, with this most recent season. I will say I enjoyed the theme song and just trying to get through these episodes really quick. Some of the times I wouldn't, I, I'd speak. Netflix allows you to skip the intro. So I skipped the intro sometimes. But the very last episode that I watched, I made sure that I listened to the theme song at normal speed so that i was able to take it in because it was pretty cool michelle overall it started strong and i think what's i think what hurts is the the how the quality decreased comparing season one with the quality of the writing the tightness of the story as compared to here it's just yeah you really can't compare them anymore. Even with Daredevil, Daredevil season one, it happened to Daredevil. I think the only one that got better was Luke Cage because I like Luke Cage season two a lot. Arguably, Iron Fist got better, but <laughs> but it's such a low bar there. Yeah, that was such a low bar. I mean, yeah, because at least Iron Fist season two. I actually would watch before this one, before Jessica Jones, because I could fast forward through so much of season three of Jessica Jones. But with Iron Fist season two, you had Colleen and Misty. So it's less you would just kind of make it the Colleen and Misty show and just fast forward through all the Danny stuff and you have a good show. (laughs) And the Punisher, I think the Punisher stuff was just awful. It really wasn't necessary. I don't think the Punisher stuff was even necessary for Netflix. And fight me on that. I don't care, but that's where I'm going to stand on it. Yeah, it just hurt. It really been really great. Like SP, I actually do agree with you if they had some sort of plan, but it doesn't seem like they did going in. It sort of reminds me, if you know the news, Star Wars news, also this week, we learned that they didn't actually have a plan for the trilogy. And they actually admit, maybe we should have planned that trilogy. Then maybe it would have been better. It's like, yeah, when you have some sort of plan, things tend to go better. Yeah, as somebody who, okay, in terms of writing, there's two kinds of writers. There's plotters and there's pantsers. Plotters, you know, plot. You write everything out. You get the overarching story. The story beats everything. I try to do this. Unfortunately, I have a very, very, very short attention span. So then there's pantsers who write by the seat of their pants. It just kind of flows. George R. R. Martin is very famously a pantser. And that's kind of one of the problems is when you have this big thing, whether it's the Song of Ice and Fire series or Star Wars. If you don't know where you want to end up at the end of this, then you can take some really unexpected turns that then means like, oh, well, now I don't know what to do from here. Let me make something up. And that works to varying degrees, as we've seen in the past. And I think they got the themes of the show all down in terms of all of the Netflix shows. But you can't write 
only on a theme. You have to have that story. From what I've seen in terms of the creative side of things, you really need that producer or editor for the story, whether that is actually the showrunner or maybe it's just a story editor that sits down and says, okay, this is where things are supposed to connect and this is where we can go in the future, that sort of thing. I was asked by a friend to be a part of the team to be that sort of gatekeeper on his stories. And I found out how necessary that is, even with somebody that has great ideas and great creative energy and had the ability to write really good stuff. At the end of the day, it's like, well, why are we doing this? Tell me why we're doing this because it just doesn't add up. And where are we going? And once you give me those ideas, then I can tell you if this is going to work or not. And even George Lucas had that happen to him, even in the original Star Wars movie. Arguably, that is why the original trilogy were received way better than the prequel trilogy. George had someone to tell him no then. And again, as a writer, as somebody who has edited stories and helped people bounce ideas off, an outside voice is invaluable because you know what's going on in your head. You know what you intend, but you need to know how it comes across. Very famously, Anne Rice doesn't use an editor and her quality really noticeably suffered because of it. And I think, again, you need a guiding hand, especially if look at this as a big group project and you need Like, it's nice to think, oh, everyone's going to do an equal part and it'll end, but kind of you need that one person to keep everyone on track. And I don't know if the Netflix shows had that, whereas the movies do. Yeah. So anyway, that's it for our coverage on Jessica Jones. That's it for our coverage on Netflix Defenders. But we will be continuing to cover Marvel. And that starts next time. We're going to move our recording slots to Thursday night. So it's a week and a half from when we're recording this. If you're catching this live, we're going to be covering Loki season one, episode one. I don't think there is a episode title on it yet, which would be in line with what Disney plus has been doing all along with these previous two series. So that's where we're going in the future. In the meantime, we do have some Marvel news, not Star Wars news, but Marvel news to cover. So here we go. We're going to start off with a trailer. The trailer for Eternals came out, I guess, last week. Have either of y'all seen it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think it looks beautiful. I know nothing about the Eternals. I never read any Eternals comics. So I can't say how this looks compared to the comics. I will say it looks like a visual spectacle. I really like a lot of the cast. And this trailer has me hopeful. I know that there's been kind of a mixed reaction to it because, again, the Eternals aren't one of Marvel's like front and center titles. But, you know, it could be interesting. We saw with Guardians what happens when you have that low expectation and then you can blow it right out of the water. What I'm really looking forward to in this next series of movies is you get a sense in their plan, the overall plan, the phase four plan, and really, I hate to say it. I almost want to skip through the movie, but I know that would be a bad idea. And just get to the mid credit and the post credit scenes to see where everything is going in the future. But yeah, I will definitely watch the movies. 
we're going to watch the movies and we're going to record on them here on Marvel Cinematic Universe with the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Kevin Feige, the man, actually admits he made possibly made a mistake. So if you go back in our archives to our Doctor Strange episode, you will probably hear me complaining about the Ancient One. So the Ancient One in the comic is an Asian man. They switched that character to Tilda Swinton in the movies. And while I'm always a fan of, you know, more gender inclusivity, it's like, okay, here's a positive Asian role that exists in the comics and you are literally whitewashing it. You're giving it to a white person. And at the time, their excuse was, we're making her Celtic. Okay. In a recent Men's Health interview, Kevin Feige said, we thought we were being so smart and so cutting edge. He said, we're not going to do the cliche of the wizened old Asian man. But it was a wake-up call to say, well, wait a minute. Is there any other way to figure it out? Is there any other way to both not fall into the cliche and cast an Asian actor? And the answer to that, of course, is yes. This is another reason why you will hear me just going on ad nauseum about this. We need representation on screen and behind the screen. Because just like George Lucas needs somebody to tell him no every now and then, you need a voice that is not your own to tell you, hey, here's the problem with this. Have you considered this? And we're starting to see more of that. And I'm really happy that we're starting to see more of that. But at that time, it was not great. And it's still, I have friends who won't watch Doctor Strange just because it's the, oh, the mysterious East. And then at the same time, we have this white savior character. And there's a lot of problems with everything that's created. You are never going to get a perfectly pure thing. But this was an occasion where they could have asked someone, hey, let me run this past you. And instead they decided, hey, we know what's best. Marvel is unhappy with some pictures. Okay. If you've been on Twitter this week, you may have seen pictures of Taika Waititi, his reported girlfriend, Rita Ora, who's the singer, and Tessa Thompson all hanging out on a patio and all three of them kind of kissing together in various arrangements. I was like, oh, hey, of course they're in a threesome. This is cool. I am very supportive of poly relationships. Marvel, not so much. Well, Disney, maybe. Maybe both. An insider close to the Thor Love and Thunders production told the publication of I Forgot to Write Down, The behavior exhibited in the photo is not exactly the image they're looking to project in relation to one of their biggest franchises. My opinion is that since this is based on Norse mythology and polyamory is the least weird thing you'll find in Norse mythology, be fine with it. But polyamory isn't really as accepted by the media the powers that be, the ones that decide what's family-friendly. So I'm happy for them. Let them kiss. Yeah, there are three consenting adults. Kiss. Anyway, moving on to some Disney Plus news, we have um, some Moon Knight casting. Okay, so confirming what we already know, 
Marvel Studios Twitter account has confirmed, yes, Oscar Isaac is Moon Knight. They posted a picture. It says, we are Moon Knight. Oscar Isaac, hashtag Moon Knight. And it's the top of Oscar Isaac's head, you know, from like the bridge of his nose up in front of a lot of reference images for Moon Knight, like stills from the comics. And that has me excited because I love Oscar Isaac. Again, you will hear it's not perfect casting. Moon Knight in the comics is Jewish. Oscar Isaac is, as far as I know, not. But I really like Oscar Isaac. Again, you can like something and admit it's not perfect. And we have possible news of an origin series. Okay. So this is not in an official like Marvel thing. There was a true Hollywood reporter, Power Lawyers 2021 article that came out last week. And, you know, they're going like lawyer by lawyer, company by company. Originally, the article said Bill Miller brokered a deal for Denai Guria to not only reprise her role as Okoye in the upcoming Black Panther sequel, but also an origin spinoff series for Disney+. And when I went to go highlight and copy-paste for the notes, that little tidbit is no longer in the article. But it has been screenshotted. I'm linking to the Geeks of Color tweet about it, and they have the screenshot. So I would not say no to an Okoye series. I really like the actress. I really like the character. Let her have her series. There's a lot of reasons why something was retracted out of an article, one of which was it went through further review with the publication and they just couldn't confirm it. It doesn't necessarily mean it is going to happen or isn't going to happen. It just means it had to be removed from the article. So speculate away. <laughs> the Marvel snipers got to them. Yeah, that's right. And in not Marvel news, but related, we have some Sony news. So we've known for a while that Sony wanted to make a Craven the Hunter movie. There was a lot of speculation on who they were cast. Jason Momoa was a very popular choice. But like, I guess it was yesterday, day before, they announced that Aaron Taylor Johnson is going to play Craven. Who is Aaron Taylor Johnson, you might ask? Well, he's Quicksilver, MCU Quicksilver, not Pietro, original flavor Pietro. So this would be his second appearance in a Marvel. Now we have both Pietros playing characters who are, I guess, not technically Pietro, but still in the MCU. The movie will be directed by J.C. Chandor. The film is a new entry in the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters, so like Venom, etc., and the screenplay is coming from Art Markham and Matt Holloway and Richard Wenk. I'm honestly not enthused about this casting. I think Aaron Taylor Johnson is an okay actor, but I mean, let's be real. I wanted to see Momoa as a big buff, big game hunter guy. It could be all sorts of reasons why Momoa couldn't do this. Not the least of which is the fact that he's Aquaman and who knows his filming schedule in the future might be up in the air with the dceu i guess is the way to call it i don't know what it's called anymore i don't even think they warner brothers knows what it's called anymore but we shall see in the future as far as the casting i've learned two things one of which sony doesn't always get it right so there's a but two is that i've been known to be surprised before 
Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, is a notable exception there, right? Where a lot of people were wondering if she could really pull off the Wonder Woman character because of her body style and and everything. But I think she did a wonderful job. So there we go. All right. I think that's it for the news this week, Michelle. Yes, it is. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to do what Jessica Jones didn't do. And we're actually going to take the ticket. We're going to get on the bus and we're going to head on out of here. Is it the bus one? 844, the bus one. (laughs) Gosh, I missed the bus. All right. So Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is switching to Thursday nights, at least for the next six episodes, because we're going to be covering Loki at 7 p.m. Eastern time. There's also going to be some movies stuck in there as well. So we'll get back with you on um, when we're going to cover the upcoming MCU movies like Black Widow, for example, when that comes up. So just stay tuned to our social media and we'll let you know when we're going to be recording our next episode. So thank you very much for listening. And walking us through the entire Netflix Defenders universe, we actually watched all of the series from front to back, Daredevil episode one to Jessica Jones season three, episode 13. Thank you for listening to our coverage for that. Thank you to everybody who listens and who gets back to us. I'm trying to decide if and when I'm going to be live tweeting Loki, so expect a poll on the Twitter account soon. And yeah, it just, I love you guys. I've missed being here for the past couple weeks. Yeah, thank you to everyone who has listened to our interesting takes on these series. And oh my goodness, we're finally done with Netflix. This is such an odd moment because we have spent so much time trying to do these series and it's so odd that we're done with (laughs) netflix shows like does it ever hit y'all exactly how long we've been doing this because every now and then it hits me oh yeah i mean there was weeks that we would do an episode of agents of shield and an episode of netflix just try to sandwich it all in and then we just gave it up because we just couldn't do it as a podcast that was doing one episode of the podcast per week there's just no way to do it other than putting in a separate episode to cover an entire series now we did that with the punisher season two but i don't think the rest of the series we could have done that with and we kind of condensed jessica jones season three because of the low-key coming up here but yeah i it's been a long time to cover all this stuff marvel was part of it to put it all out definitely netflix so uh, one thing's for sure is if you're listening to this show and your sole reason to have your netflix subscription is for the show. You can now cancel Netflix. But maybe don't because there's some good stuff on there. It's good stuff yeah. on any streaming yeah. service. Yeah, like the magicians. Mm-hmm. I need to get back to my watch through of that. I got distracted, but now I'm four episodes to the end of Black Sails, so I think I'll get back to the magicians after. Yeah, that's a show I wanna I wanna watch because I heard that it's there's so interesting good. adult like relationships, how they handle like romantic relationships and stuff. It's really good. I will give content warnings for the first season, especially I think it's episode four for sexual assault, but it's a really good show and the characters are fascinating and I really like it. And yeah, 
pirates. So I know Lauren mentioned it before, but if you haven't started watching The Bad Batch, I think you can start with episode one. You might be a little bit behind on the mythology behind where they are in the animated series, which is actually integrated into the movies. But you might want to go back and watch all of the Clone Wars to get a full appreciation of everything. But this I will say, if you listen to this podcast and you enjoyed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you might want to check out The Bad Batch. Wink, wink, wink. (laughs) I can't recommend it enough. It's so good. There's a problem with all the Star Wars animated series so far where the first season is really rough, and then at like the last few episodes, that's when it grabs me. This one started off strong from the start, and I know that's because it's leapfrogging off of Clone Wars, but. I think you could watch the first episode with just no knowledge other than general, I've seen Star Wars knowledge. There is a tie-in with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. So, there you go. So, with that, until next time, I'm director of this podcast, Agent SP. Director SP. I'm producer (laughs) of this podcast, Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. We'll see everybody next time when we're covering Loki. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. It still kind of hurts and it's still got these numb spots and kind of feels like if you touch my skin, it feels burned from the inside. Not if you touch the skin, your hand will feel burned, but the pain's a lot better and I can sit up for longer now. And yeah, just really hoping this is a good long-term fix. Okay, two exciting bits of news. Okay. One, on Friday, Scott and I met a dog that we might adopt. Oh. His name's Fulton. He has sensory processing disorder, so it's like a neurological thing where he gets overwhelmed really easily by sights and sounds. Okay. And he has some problems with movement. But on paper, we're the perfect house for him. And when we went, he was like loving up on us immediately. And his foster was like, wow, he never does that. Oh, meant to be. Yeah. So now we just, we're going to be meeting with the fosters and his trainer at some point this week. Need to figure that out. Other good news. I'm an aunt. Oh, congrats. Yeah. Her name's Elle Colette. And she was born yesterday morning at 819. And yeah, I'm so happy. I haven't gotten to meet her yet because I'm giving my sister some time to recover. I was like, yeah, just text me when you're fine with company.
but I'm so excited. I, I finished my blanket for her literally hours. Like I went to go see Kristen and she was having contractions that were like eight minutes apart. And then that evening they were like five minutes apart. And so they went to the birthing center. How long do they stay at the birthing center afterwards? She went home the same day. Okay. Yeah, I guess everything went real easy. Everything went as planned. I'm really happy. Well, that's exciting news. I'm wearing my leveled up to auntie shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's great. Could you be at the birthing center? No, because of COVID, they were only allowing Kristen and Norm in. Okay. Yeah, my potential future brother-in-law's name is Norm. He's a really nice guy, very quiet, very into working out. I can't wait to meet her. I can't wait. So just be a matter of days, really, right? Yep. And then tonight is AEW Double or Nothing, which I'm very happy for. Yay, wrestling pay-per-view. <laughs> I know the Indianapolis 500 ran earlier today. I didn't watch Oh, it. yeah, that was today. I saw people talking about cars, and I was like, I don't know if it's like a... NASCAR or Formula One or what? It's technically, I believe, the IndyCar circuit. And I think they had 135,000 people in the stands, which is a quarter of their capacity, I think. Yeah. Last year's was delayed until August. That happened. Yeah. Hey. Hi. How are you? Um, I'm okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm late. Okay. <laughs> no biggie. I was just catching up. So, uh, Lauren, do you want to tell her the news? Okay. Yeah. So, two excellent things happened this week. One, fri uh, on Friday, Scott and I met a dog that we might adopt. His name's Fulton. He's been fostered his entire life. He's four Aww. and a half years old. And he has sensory dysfunction. So, he gets overwhelmed really easily. And... Yeah, on paper, Scott and I are perfect for him because, you know, we're quiet. We don't go anywhere. We have a fenced backyard. We know what it's like to have pets that have different disabilities. Yeah. And so that went really well when we met him. He was just loving up on us immediately. And the owner Aww. was like, wow, he never does that to strangers. So fingers crossed, we're supposed to meet again with the foster and his trainer later this week. So we can like cover what to do to help him cope when he has like his sensory meltdowns, but it's, I'm so excited. And the other thing, uh, I'm an aunt. You're a what? I'm an aunt. My sister had her baby Aww. yesterday. Boy or girl? Girl. Her name's El Colette. Oh, Aunt Lauren. I'm so excited. <laughs> I haven't That's met awesome. her yet. I'm letting her rest. Cause my sister was in labor for 29 hours. Holy smokes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, wow. she's, it sounds like everything went fine. Kristen went home yesterday. Um, the baby, she looks perfect. I love her so much already. Aww. Adorable. Yay. Indeed. Glad to have you back, Lauren. Yes, my sound panels got here today. I'm going to install them this week. I'm so happy. Good, good. How's the new house? Still fantastic. Good. Yeah, no regrets. Haven't run into any nasty neighbors yet or anything? No, our neighbors are really nice. Um, on They both have dogs on either side. 
Our neighbor on our right side also has hairless cats, one of which got out. And I spent an afternoon just kind of making sure it didn't get sunburned or run into the street while we waited for them to get home. And uh, yeah, it's really weird when you open your garage door and a hairless cat that you have never seen before is staring you in the face and then hisses. It's like, wow, I was not expecting a real life gremlin in my house. (laughs) Yeah, all sorts of uh, wildlife eventually finds its way in. I've <laughs> just on my way to work the last week, I've almost hit the same deer twice. Oh, jeez! Yeah. That poor deer, if it hasn't been hit already, it's somebody's going to hit it because that deer is not being safe with itself. Anyway. I think I'm going to let the bad batch run because it's like, I'm, I'm not really good. I think I would like it if I was watching it together. Because Knowledge like they're choice. so short, and then it's just like it really does leave you wanting more. I'm yeah. I, I think I'm just so going to wait till it finish and then binge it. Some episodes are longer. Yeah, the first episode was really like I guess a, like three or four episodes smashed into one. Kind of like the Clone Wars movie was actually like four episodes of the Clone Wars that they decided to release. They're not all 22 minutes or half an hour. They they've been allowed to go bigger and smaller although i think you could naturally take out a few scenes to make them be able to be aired on tv if they ever wanted to do that but i'm getting the clear distinction that that is not what this series has been shoehorned into they're actually telling stories and the full story needed rather than just cutting it up because it has to fit into 21 22 minutes or something like that Also, I don't suppose either of you ever watched The Tribe. It was an early 2000s kind of teen soap opera from New Zealand. No. Okay, because one of the characters is voiced by one of the main characters from early seasons of that, and it makes me so happy. Omega? Yep. Yeah, it's voiced by uh, Tai San from The Tribe. I looked up who was voicing Omega, and it was uh, not who I was expecting. Uh, So her vocal talent is very, very good. Yes. Also, I don't suppose either of you ever watched The Tribe. It was an early 2000s kind of teen soap opera from New Zealand. No. Okay, because one of the characters is voiced by one of the main characters from early seasons of that, and it makes me so happy. Omega? Yep. Yeah, it's voiced by uh, Tai San from The Tribe. I looked up who was voicing Omega, and it was uh, not who I was expecting. Uh, so her vocal talent is very, very good. Yes. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2021.